Thanks. Good to be with y'all. Can you hear me okay? Assuming can. Uh, Scott gave you a heads up that I preached on one word last week and one word this week. Next week it's just syllables. So uh, I'm kidding. It's not. Uh, but we're going to hear a whole bunch of syllables because I'm going to read from a couple of portions of scripture. So I'd like you to please stand. I'm going to read Ephesians 1, and then before I get into John 9, I just want to set the table a little bit for us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he hath blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. All right, now we're jumping back into the gospel of John chapter 9, and I'm only reading a small portion, but just, uh, as I said, to give you some context for what you're going to hear Um What had happened was Jesus had healed a man who had been born blind. This is one of those instances in the gospel where he mysteriously, I want to explain it because I don't even know if I fully understand it, but he took mud and rubbed it in the guy's eyes and healed him. But he healed him on a particular day, the Sabbath. And as a result, the religious leaders were upset. And so upset that they roped in the guy who was healed. They roped in his family to kind of leverage against him to condemn Jesus. He wouldn't do it. So they kicked him out of church, basically. They excommunicated him. And just as a quick qualification, too, in that passage, and I think maybe even as I'm reading here, it'll say Jews. Just hear Presbyterian ministers <laughs> or religious leaders, because that's really what it's getting at. And, and I, I don't want to contribute to things that are already going on in our culture. So hear now the word of the Lord, John 9, 35 through 41. Jesus heard that they had cast the man who had been healed out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered and said, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him. You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe and worship him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see 
she your guilt remains. This ends the reading of God's holy word. Please be seated. We basically have a crisis right now, maybe multiple crises in our culture that have to do with authority. We have trouble relying on authority. Many of us do not trust the authorities that are in place for our own good. We don't trust them to be true, to be just, or to work in our best interest. Let's give you a few examples. Um, this one's a little bit tried. Not too long ago, there was an NBA player who affirmed, and he affirmed with a growing number of uh, advocates, that our Earth, our planet, is flat. Period. Now, what's the what's what's the shadow side of that? Well, our engineers, our scientists, are not accurate. They're either dumb or they're pulling the wool over our eyes. Likewise, we live in the Pacific Northwest, and just and this is anecdotally, but what I found is there is a a strong preponderance of belief in cryptids, right? You know what cryptids are? Things like Sasquatch, the Loch Ness monster, alien UFOs. And I have a little bit, not a good bit of sympathy with his views, but what's the shadow side of that? Well, that our historians, our, our park rangers, people like that, they're, they're, they're trying to deceive us and telling us these things don't exist. Likewise, moving up the ladder of importance, we now have skepticism about things like vaccines that have saved lives and protected millions for generations. They're now rejected for alternative options. Doctors will often, uh, what happens is people say, well, look, doctors, drug companies, they are not working to our benefit. It's about the money. I don't know what's going in my body. I don't know if I should trust them. Why should they care? And so they put them at arm's length. In fact, a friend of mine, a former student, whenever I was a RUF campus minister, is now a physician. And he'll tell patients as they're sitting across from the office, what you need, really, if you want to live a healthier life, is to maybe have less calories in your life. Maybe don't smoke and maybe exercise a little bit. And they're like, no, man, that, you're, you're scamming me. What I need is more CBD <laughs> in my life. And so he just says, now I just assume that uh, they're using CBD, but they don't trust him, even though they are in there with him. And I hardly need to say, and I will barely touch on it, just because it is a raw nerve and it is uranium in our midst. But as you think about our own relationship to politics and politicians, um, we view them as uh, stiff-necked, liars, partisans, some even morally corrupt. And so we're skeptical. Or likewise, some, sometimes some folks, and it, it, it can happen all across the spectrum, I believe that my party, the one I support, is the only one that is true, that is virtuous, that is right. And so just kind of painted very broadly here, this being the case, this, this challenge, the skepticism to authority, we sometimes then retreat into private or secret knowledge, what I called a couple of weeks ago when I was here, this, this reference to Gnosticism, the idea that we have this private or secret knowledge that only I or select few have access to. We've either earned it or we've been given this truth, and it gives us the right take on reality. It privileges us. It secures us. It gives us 
some kind of knowledge that anchors us and keeps us from being tossed and turned. And the question I want to ask and put before us, especially as Christians here this morning, is why are so many so skeptical that we have decided that hidden, private, alternate accounts of how we know what we know is that's more reliable than the common ways in which we have ordered ourselves and others. And why is it that it seems that Christians are more likely to buy into these alternative and private accounts of knowledge? I think one of the reasons is we have seen sometimes played out that folks who are supposed to be working in our best interests do have hidden agendas. They are, uh, and they are using these agendas to get something from me wrongfully. I'm being taken advantage of. Or these authorities have purposes which for me and maybe for us seem unfathomable. I have no understanding what's going on and it just doesn't feel right. And as so often the case, we are distanced and we are removed from these sources and from these authorities. So they're just not trustworthy. I mean, who, who are these people making decisions about my rights, my health, my truth? Are they our kind of people anyway? I think that's, that's kind of the thing that's going on. And to some degree, there's frankly a crisis of meaning too. The old past, the old ways, the traditions that we have walked in before don't seem reliable. Because so much in our life just seems out of control. We're trying to create meaning by means of creating a new story, a new narrative. A narrative that, well, everything seems stacked against me, and sure enough, it is. I'm a victim. I have a way of understanding this now. Reality is stacked against me. So we decide to seek control on our own. All of us. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm pointing back at me. And what is it that we're saying? I will not be taken advantage of. I'm not going to be a stupid chump, a mindless drone, a sheep. Sheeple, as some people say. And here's where it lands for us, though, because this isn't just political commentary. We're talking about the kingdom of God here, so maybe there's a little bit of political commentary there. Here's where it lands for us, though. This same kind of skepticism that we see in our culture about authorities is how people very often think about religion. And by religion, I mean the stuff that we're doing here this morning. Belief in God. And let's just acknowledge, because we're supposed to be truth tellers here, that it kind of makes sense that folks would see religion like that. Why? Well, the God of Christianity, at least according to Christians, often has purposes that are unfathomable. I mean, you can go to the Hebrew Bible, a couple of different places. It says, my ways are not like your ways, says the Lord. He just puts it out there. You kind of don't know what I'm doing. And then experientially, right, how the events of my life are connected together or even how they're supposed to work together for good is often not very clear or discernible. In fact, it feels confusing, even up to the point of mine or my loved one's death. God, what is going on? So it means and looks like God's agenda both is hidden and mysterious and frankly sometimes can seem unsafe. And by Christians' own acknowledgement, right, 
We say God is transcendent. He is invisible. John chapter 4, Jesus said he is a spirit. And that feels removed and distant. I remember watching a Bill Maher show a few years ago when he had a theologian, Cornell West, on there. And Cornell uh, said something to him about praying for him. And, and, and Bill Maher just said, yeah, you say hello to your ghost friend for me. Which is very dismissive, but that's exactly what he's getting at. Removed. Not touching the reality of our lived experience. So, with the table set for us like that, when it comes to saying the creed, which is what we're talking about, looking at scripture to help us understand. When it comes to saying, I believe in God, Father Almighty, we can either escape into it, retreat into it. That's what a lot of people think religion is, especially here in the Northwest. We can retreat into it kind of like saying, well, what's one more doubtful thing? Like Sasquatch, like the Loch Ness Monster, that I can add to the list of things that are not likely, but I'll just go ahead and go along with. Or we can see, especially if we're not a Christian, believe that the thing is a whole, it is a scam. That soup to nuts, the whole thing, Genesis to the maps in the Bible, it's a scam that God is the great conspiracy theory. God is a construct. To get people to be docile and easily managed, right? You can hear that out in the world. I'm not going to make that case for you here. Rather, what we're going to talk about is, or, and this is what we're going to look at in the next few minutes, we can see that belief, the I believe for the Christian, the statement I believe said by the Christian is not an irrational retreat, but the beginning, not the end, but the beginning of a series of statements that affirm that where I find the anchor for my life, where I find solid ground, where I find home is in the Lord. Put it like C.S. Lewis puts it in the way to glory. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. And y'all, that is really what I'm wanting to get at this morning, is that if you are trusting in Christ, that it is through Christ, because of your vital union with him, that that is how you would engage the world and see the world as a Christian. This is not going to be obviously exhaustive or formally philosophical, but since faith is the mode of existence for the Christian life, it's key for us to come to a richer understanding an experience of belief in relation to Jesus, especially as we both confess and commend the God of the creed. Let me just say this too. I mentioned conspiracy theories, and I don't say that with any stink on it or looking down on anyone, but if you believe what are considered by many to be a conspiracy theory, You might think that the current or the former president is really just three lizards in a trench coat. I don't know. I know I can't talk you out of it, and I'm not going to try. But I don't want that belief, if you're a Christian, to be your most fundamental belief about how it is the most important thing about how you go into the world, the one that governs your other beliefs. I want, because God wants, trust in Jesus to be the orienting commitment for you. It changes how you live with others. That's all. I can almost shut it down right there because that's where I'm going. But we've got two things I just want to touch on here as we're thinking about that. Here's the first one. That trust in God is safe, is rational, and true 
Put it another way, it's not a conspiracy theory because God's agenda is revealed and made public and it is not hidden. Rather, it is revealed and made public in Jesus Christ. If you suspect, this is even if you're a Christian, if you suspect that Christianity is a scam, and we know from reading the Bible that religious people, very often pastors, both in the time of Jesus' day, time of the prophets, that they can be the worst hucksters when it comes to using religion to conceal a a self-serving agenda. Please listen up, even though you're listening to a pastor. Take what I say with a grain of salt, obviously, but keep listening, please. God's motive in revealing himself and calling us to trust him is not, hear me all, is not to further his own ends. He does not need us. He is not trying to get something that he needs or didn't have unless he can shake us down for it. In fact, in Jesus, God has made known his purposes for us and shown us his agenda. He's made it public. Former uh, Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, puts it like this. Because of Jesus, we can now see that what God has always meant to happen is peace And for us, that looks like reconciliation and praise. All right. And that's why I read this passage from Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. And even put a little bit of emphasis on some of these words there in verses 6 and 12 and 14. That God is about his agenda beginning to end in Jesus is peace and praise. That's what he wants for you. That's what your lives are meant to radiate and express. This And this alone, this primarily is God's agenda. You see, the world that God has made is designed to be a reconciled world. Put it another way, God's deal is not to be eternally at odds with people and with the cosmos. But he's a friend. He is a parent with all that he has made, especially his image bearers, us. So let me ask you this question. This, this, some of y'all who've heard me preach before know that I to do this periodically to get you looped in on this. Here's this first question I want you to ask about yourself as you're uh, caring for yourself and caring for one another. Is faith in God for you a reason to fight? A reason to argue? A reason to shame? Or does it pave the way? Does it set the table? Does it give you the foundation for peace personally, socially, and praise? personally, and socially? Do you get more pleasure in trolling people you disagree with or more joy in loving others, especially maybe your enemies? Keep thinking about that question. Here's also what God's agenda is, that he, a world, he wants to see a world in which a diversity of human communities come to share a life together because they share the conviction the belief, the experience that God has acted to set them free, to set us free from fear and guilt. So let's go back to the eye of the creed. Talking a little bit about belief, we'll jump to the eye. Think about the eye of the creed. What does that mean? I am forgiven. I am free. I am known. I am loved. That is who that I is. That is what you have been free to do. And this reconciliation liberates 
human voices for praise, for celebration, for the glory of God who made it possible. Second question I'm asking you to think about, to address, to talk about over lunch even, is this. Is celebration a part of your family, your your own personal experience, your congregational habits of being, your rituals, your liturgy, your service? Or is it scorn? Cursing the dark instead of commending the light. Is that what is more natural for you, more comfortable for you? See, what may have been hidden in the past has been revealed in glory in Jesus. God's agenda is out there, public and excessive, nothing hidden. It's kind of like... um, this show, I don't even know what show it was, but it was kind of one of these shows where they do a switcheroo and there was, um, they were at a karaoke bar and they had the singer Jewel. Do you remember Jewel? I'm not going to sing Who Will Save Your Soul, but you maybe can already remember that. She's got this just wonderful voice. She dressed up in a wig, fake nose, and she was acting shy and sheepish and different people were going around singing. And they're like, Hey, Marie from Carpool, whatever wants to sing. And she got up there and she, what, what do you think she's saying? Who will save your soul? And people are looking around. It's like, who is this guy? Right? Because it sounded like Jewel. It didn't look like Jewel. And then the revelation happened. She took off. And everyone just kind of swarmed in there. What had been hidden, that was Jewel, is now shown. I love that her name is Jewel. Because Jewel is revealed. That's the same thing that we have in Jesus. That same thing. So there's our first thing that we're looking at. But here's the second one. Belief. All right, I'm talking about belief, is not simply affirming some remote facts, but rather is trust and refuge in the person of Jesus. So much of how we talk about Christianity is tied up in language of ideas. And for sure, there are ideas there, right? And, and, and there, it's okay to talk about it, but sometimes that is what is predominant. And hard and brittle and cuts you on the edge of the, the, the definition kind of conversation about right and wrong. And so that ends up setting the stage for us to be combative or defensive instead of resting in Jesus, receiving his light, his power, and have an emboldening and patient love, an embodied witness, I guess would be the other way to put it. You see, truth for Christianity is a person. In fact, if we were going to get to this part of the creed today, we talk about how Jesus reveals God sufficiently to us. That the revealed agenda of God is a human who gives life and forgiveness and God's character comes with, with DNA, a blood type and fingerprints. That is Jesus. So belief in truth, the person of Jesus is not going to look so much like getting this piece of information right, like we're just trying to solve some cosmic math problem. As much as it's going to be an act of trust and commitment to one another, of resting and receiving God himself, living graciously, living holy. Um, our Buddhist friends talk about taking refuge 
in Buddha, which is actually language I like. And it actually gets at the sentiment of trust in Christ probably better than it does for Buddhists looking at Buddha, because at best, at least in most schools of Buddhism, as I understand, Buddha is just an example. But for Christ, he's not just our example. We we literally give ourselves to him. There is somehow a mystical, mysterious merging of ourselves with Jesus. Yes, we are distinct. We don't become God, but we share in that life. Remember, for example, in Exodus, where Moses is going to get to experience God. What did he have to do to experience God? He, he had to take refuge in the crook of a rock when God passed by. He had, think of the irony here, he had to hide to be close to God, to be in God's presence. Yet in Jesus, we don't escape from God's presence by refuge in a rock. We escape into the presence of God, which is Jesus himself. He secures us. He hides us. Not from God, but from sin, death, the devil, the powers, and the principalities. What else do we mean by refuge in Christ? Well, we've seen a little bit of that already when we were looking at John chapter 9, where the blind man who has been healed by Jesus has a bit of a tough time with food. It wasn't the, the secular marketplace. It wasn't with the Romans. He had a tough time with the organized religion and organized religious leaders of this day. And it was the same religion of Jesus, by the way. See, remember the man born blind? Jesus healed him. Um, and the religious leaders attacked him, asked him barbed questions to shame him, to scorn him, to trick him, to even leverage his parents against him. He ended up getting kicked out of the synagogue. Then look at what happens when he encounters Jesus. And there's really there's 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 two streams that I want us to think about as we're, as we're coming to a landing here and thinking about taking refuge, taking trust in Jesus. Two things that really to take to heart. One, the religious leaders did have a hidden agenda that ends up manipulating the guy who needed healing. So if nothing else, maybe you hear this. Jesus understands your cynicism about bad agendas and bad actors in organized religion. In fact, he opposed it. He was killed for opposing it, but he rose again to overcome it. But here's the second stream. Jesus finds the healed man, just like maybe he has found you this morning. And he asked him, do you believe in the son of man? Now, look, he's not asking them some theoretical idea. Do you think I exist? <laughs> of course, he knows he exists. He's standing there in front of him. He's saying, do you trust me? Have you now put all of your emotional and spiritual weight on me? Am I your harbor from the storm of circumstances, like maybe a bad family situation, religious oppression, physical problem, sin? Am I the one that you look to for peace? And praise. Am I the one you have come to for refuge? What's the response of the man? Verse 38, the passage we read, it says, praise. The man worshiped him. And then peace. Even though he's been rejected by his religious community, his pastors, maybe even his family, says he sees. And not just physically, which is awesome. But he sees even more. The man sees himself as one who has been encountered by Christ in a way that he could not manufacture. That his deepest 
need of guilt has been removed. And in verse 41, Jesus said, that's the biggest thing that you need to take care of in the first place. Last question. Do you believe? Do you believe? Have you found refuge in Christ? Please don't leave here today, Christian or not, with simply a better understanding of what belief means. If you had this cognitive knowledge about these passages, this theology. Don't do that and not receive and rest in Christ himself. He made you to know him, to trust him, and to see the world as his world, a world that he is reconciling, and he is inviting you to be a part of that. In refuge and praise. Let's ask him for help again. Lord, in your mercy, would you help us to find ourselves in you? Not in a way that is escapist, that is weird, that is unconnected with the real and lived pressures and concerns of this life. Because that is, does not fit with the incarnation. It doesn't fit with how you have revealed yourself, Jesus. Um, would you help us to live by faith and not by sight? Faith in what you have done. Faith in who you say you are. And yet we do pray in the way in which we have seen it evidenced here in this passage of John that we would have sight. Sight to see ourselves as ones who are loved, forgiven, who, has been, who have been ransomed and who are now free. Not to have to always be right, but to free to live a kind of life that looks like compassion and mercy and patience. Things I need in spades. Things, no doubt, many of us here need in spades. And we want to do this because we believe that in that doing, we are sharing and evidencing the very divine life which you give us and to which we have taken our refuge. And so we ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.